This is Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. Here are your hosts, John Gladden, J.P. Kendall, and Jill Kendrick. In podcast two, we talked with Amy, an immigrant whose family moved from Iran several years ago, getting her thoughts on her time in the U.S. and her home country. J.P. couldn't be with us for podcast three, as Amy explained her husband's and her reasons for emigrating. We didn't actually want to leave Iran. That was not the purpose. But the purpose was Omid wanted to achieve higher educational goals. Out of the 20 people in his class during his master's, 18 of them have already uh, moved to either Canada or Australia or United States. It was bugging him for a while. He wanted to go. That's got to be concerning to the government. That's quite a uh, brain drain. It's not. They say they are not worried about that. They obviously don't want people that think too much. Because, you know, the university that he he went to is probably the best in the country. So everybody there is smart. Leadership is afraid of smart people. They're going to make trouble. They, they are very candid about it. We are not worried about that. Regimes like that, they don't tend to foster curiosity and mm-hmm. um, independent thinking. Yes, exactly. I'm not saying that everybody is there is not smart. Of course, there are smart people over there too, but they don't have any problems if somebody wants to go and if somebody thinks that they are going to be better somewhere else. Okay, don't make trouble here. Go wherever you want to. Which is actually kind of refreshing for a government like that because look at other regimes that can be called repressive. And it's it's like, no, 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 no. You're going to stay here. And Thank God it's not like that. Yeah. yeah like North Korea, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's different for us. Yeah. It's a different kind of dictatorship. Well, and maybe, sorry, maybe on the flip side of that, that also makes them look better that look at all these very brilliant people we're sending to these yes. other countries and look at the great things they're doing for all of you. Mm-hmm. It's, it kind of puts a positive spin on some things as it well. It can be that too. I would think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. What did you anticipate the United States would be like before you got here? Okay, very different from what we saw, actually. Uh, Part of it is because we moved to Manchester, Tennessee, which is probably the smallest town ever at the middle of nowhere. We imagine that to be more modern, you know, everybody says United States, and you think that it's going to be much different from what we thought. Actually, my uncle, he moved here like eight years before we did. He told me about that and put your expectations too high. Don't, we knew kind of what it's going to be, but, but Manchester was different from everything that he, he told us. Manchester's probably <laughs> maybe 11,000 people. Yeah. It's right on I-24 between Nashville and, and Chattanooga. And that's where... Um, Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo is. We used to say that it was a rest area on the way that they expanded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And the biggest reason why we why we chose Tullahoma, which is about five minutes away, uh, is that it was halfway between Melinda's parents and our grandchildren. So, I mean, it was oh, okay. more of a geographical thing 
than anything else. So you come to Manchester, and I'm sure you've got to be scratching your head thinking, wait a minute, this is this is in no way like we expected. Yeah. Move. Imagine moving from Tehran with 12 million people population <laughs> to Manchester. It was it was a big shock. So then from, from here, true. you move to Lawrence, Kansas, which is where Lawrence, uh, Kansas, University yeah. of Kansas is. That had to have been a nice academic environment. Yeah, I, I love Lawrence. You know, it's not a big town. It's nice and quiet, but still, since it has a big university, the whole city is diverse. You wouldn't expect that in Kansas, but you have all kinds of people with different backgrounds, everything, and... I like this. I like Lawrence. Yeah. And then, of course, Connecticut has to be, let's face it, where you are is one big city that starts in South Jersey and pretty much ends in Boston. Yeah, that, in that's true. Yeah. Tell us about your life in, in Connecticut. In Connecticut, everything is different, was different from the beginning. Where we live is really close to the city. So, Lots of people here who live here actually work in the city and it's very diverse. It's everything is happening less than an hour away from you. So you can go to the city whenever you want to. You're at the middle of everything. How have you found overall people welcoming? I mean, when they when they hear that you have a, a bit of an accent. No, I had all kind of encounters with different people. You know, as I told you, you have every kind of people around here. There are a lot of white people, of course, Hispanic, black, everything. Overall, atmosphere, I would say that it's very welcoming, very familiar with the idea of immigrants. Okay, so it's not something new here. Okay, it's not like living in Tennessee. They, oh, this person is not white. Okay, it's not like that. As I told you, I had... I have seen lots of people here with different approaches, but it's, it's good to have them all. Jill lives in Lafayette, which is across the river from where Purdue University is. West Lafayette, which is where the university is, is dominated by the university. University, Lafayette, yeah. Lafayette, across the river, there's still a big imprint of the university, but there's a lot of manufacturing there. How do you think Amy and, and, and her family would be viewed at the corner of 18th and Beck as opposed to... It's getting very specific. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm throwing out the idea of the difference of like four miles. Do you think that there's a big difference between those four miles and how that they would be viewed? I think here in Lafayette, there are pockets of neighborhoods maybe or areas where things are still very much the 1960s mentality oh. and there are places where some people as the kids say are a little more woke that there are places where because we have Subaru, Caterpillar, a lot of those companies have brought in people to work here. Manufacturing just keeps growing and growing and growing and so I would like to say it would be fine, but I think there are those pockets where you might be questioned or, you know, just like just like in where you're at in Connecticut, where someone had an opinion or a thought because they hadn't gotten to know you before they made their judgment. There has been a lot of immigration into Lafayette from Hispanic areas on the university side. That whole town of West Lafayette, we used to call them the river rats, the high school the West Lafayette River Rats, 
but really and truly their academics at that high school there are bar none. They are, they, they graduate tons of people. It's probably not quite that way as much as when we were young, but back in the day, all those kids' parents were professors. They were different than our side where our parents might work at a factory or work at a bank or. I I think about you moving to, to Manchester, Amy, and I think Tennessee I also think it's like a lot of states in that the smaller towns, the less diversity that there is so that there's, you know, people are suspicious about anything new here. Once people would get to know you, there's just less suspicion. They will show their friendly side. Right. As they are Southern people. I, I think my experience were more warm and welcoming in here, everybody is so busy with their own thing, you know. Life is moving fast here. It's not the same as it was in like Tennessee or even Kansas. My now ex-husband and I moved to Georgia. We lived in a little town called Cartersville, Georgia. He was African-American. I'm white. We have biracial kids by that point that were grown, didn't move with us to Georgia. And we moved into a very Georgian-esque gated community had a pool the clubhouse all that the first time he and I went to the pool and we were 50 right and we get there and some people were very kind other people you could tell were not happy Mm -hmm. we were at that Mm -hmm. pool and so I hate to blame a whole community or a whole town I have moved around let's see I've lived in Indiana Illinois Utah Georgia, Mississippi, and Florida. No one won. And yeah, I I came back home to Lafayette. But I tend to think in my moves and what my kids and I have talked about. Oddly enough, where we lived in Illinois, 40 minutes west of Chicago, we lived in a small community that was fairly rural. That might have been the worst place. But the problem was, if you have never traveled, if you have never gone outside your comfort zone, if you if you live in Illinois or Indiana and the farthest you have ever been is Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Kentucky, you really don't have much exposure to anything else. I think that's what makes the difference in how people treat you mm-hmm. or think about you or judge or don't judge you. Because if you've had those experiences where you have put yourself into situations where you have been with different ethnicities, different cultures, different religions, it makes you more open to to at least give that person opportunity to prove whether you want them as a close friend or whatever without judging just based on appearance. My daughter was in high school and she went on a trip to Georgia from where we were at in Illinois. And she could not believe when they went to the church and John will know the name, but I can't think of it. What the church was, I think in Atlanta, the four black girls, there was like a movement, whatever. I can't even think of it right now, but the kids in her class wanted nothing to do with that. Didn't understand it. Didn't want any part of it. And she was appalled that they didn't even know about it. My daughter was so surprised by that. And she said, I'm so glad that we traveled around and we'd gone on some trips and they were just happy that they had gotten to not think like that. It was infused within them to be a little more opening based on life experience. Well, and Amy, there there has to be a parallel. I'm going to assume the difference between a resident of Tehran and a resident of a village two hours south. 
when it's you- very much true yeah and it's even i think back in iran it's even more harsh than it is here because here you everybody is familiar with the idea at least if even if they are racist they know that they shouldn't be but in iran is different so everybody is from we don't have that diversity that we have here if you're from a a small town or a village everybody is going to treat you in a way that you would know they don't see any reason to suppress that the feeling that they have you know it's very harsh i think the united states gets a they get a lot of blame for racism but the balkans as an example for how many thousand years have the croats and the serbs and the bosnians and the muslims interlaced with all of them have been hating and killing each other. I mean, you can go to almost any region of the world and you're going to find that. The only minority that we have in Iran, I'm thinking right now, we have a lot of Afghans who moved from Afghanistan to Iran and we treat them badly. I know it's not right to say, but if you call someone Afghan, that would be an insult. And, you know, I always say that to my family, okay, so United States... It's not ideal looking at the racism, but if you compare that to how we, Iranian, look at Afghans, much different. So there are lots of them are illegal immigrants, but they does not make them, but that does not make them less of a human, of course, right. okay, in a way that we treat them. It's no different from someone from the state of New York or looking down their noses at somebody from Tennessee or Georgia. That would be people from Tehran looking at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, looking at other people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just like what, what I said, though, about even like here when we were younger and you had this sort of distaste for the kids from West Lafayette or Lafayette. You know, or the kids, you felt that way that it's everywhere. high school felt yeah. that you were less. Like, we were, we were high school, you know, or when you played sports or, you know, band or whatever you did, there was this animosity, I feel like between those two schools, or then I don't know when the two county schools opened, but it was more farm kids. They weren't the city kids. And then that became a thing. There was that other kind of a feeling about those. And that was a high school thing that isn't, but on a more global thing, it's kind of the same idea. They live different than you did, that you had an opinion that, you know, they were all tending to their cows, you know, and then you had the Purdue kids who were, you know, in aeronautical engineering or whatever. And then the city kids of Lafayette, we just did whatever, you know, well, we were on a more global yeah. level. That's you know, people saying. like to think, people like to think that there are people that we are better than no right. matter what we do. Right. We don't even have to try. We are better than some people. Yeah. Well, and down south, everybody seems to pick on Mississippians. Mississippi is by far the poorest state in the union but i think oh okay but i think poor mississippians who do they have to look down on well who in the south do southerners generally look down on blacks so it it doesn't matter where you are if you have that mindset you're gonna find that for yourself <laughs> yeah there's always a hierarchy Oh, There's yeah. always a hierarchy. Hierarchy, yeah, that's true. That's very true. The hierarchy in Iran is pretty harsh. You'd feel that. There's obviously, when you read about India, there's the caste system with the untouchables on the very bottom, which would be, be fine to be an untouchable. Stay the hell away from me, okay? Just let me do my thing. 
How is it, looking back at, at your homeland, who is where, and where do you think your family and Omid's family fit in? But you know, everybody is defined based on the, the amount of money that they make. It's not like India. I've been to India, okay? India is a different world, I would say. We at least keep the face, you know? We're very average, maybe a little bit higher than average, but that's it. So it's primarily financial? Very financial. Where do... I mean, I mean, if, you, if something happens and you happen to make more money, you would automatically move to the next level. Doesn't matter what you, where you're from or whatever. What about the hierarchy of, of faith? You're talking about religion here. It's going to be the opposite. The more religious people are those who make less money. The people that, okay, that are from, I don't know, higher class families are usually less religious. Okay. If you want to present yourself as someone who was born in a good family or something, you would show yourself as a non-religious person. Well, that's an education. Yeah, that's Get, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's Get complicated. The, supreme leader. <laughs> the way that Iranian look at religion is very different than it is here. And it's because of probably because of the revolution that happened. And it flipped everything. Huh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I just find that fascinating, being that the supreme leader is, of course, a, a religious Yeah, a religious exactly. Yeah. The government is based on religion there. And so you know, there are two different paths that are moving in opposite ways. So They're moving at exactly different ways, yeah. But in order for each to exist, they allow one another and try to kind of stay out of each other's way. way. Yeah, out of each other's way. Everybody as long as they can. As, as long as they are not stepping on each other's face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, stay in your own lane. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Stay in your line. Exactly. Stay in your line and do whatever you want to do. You and Omid are in the process of becoming citizens. Take us through that step, you know, from your decision, I want to be uh, a citizen, to who you have to talk to, the papers. If you have not started that process yet, we can do it this year. So I wouldn't know. But I can talk to you about the process that we go through to get a visa to come here for Iranian. Oh, my God, to get a visa to United States. It's a whole different process. Okay, so first of all, the only way that I know of is to have an admission from a good university. Nowadays, the only people that can come here is for education. And we go through a whole process of interview, and then we have a background check, in, which can take up to a year maybe, or even more than that. And even after that, there's no guarantee. That even if you have the visa, there's no guarantee that they are going to let you in the country because you're going to go through the interview again on the border and you can oh, be wow. rejected there too. It's complicated for us. Okay. Okay. So you're, you have to be extraordinary in everything or you, you wouldn't even be considered as a case. And when you go through that and it takes about six months so they can process your documents and everything. And after that, yeah, then again, background check, interviews, fingerprinting, everything. Is it expensive for you to do that? Expensive, I would say. Okay, uh, and the visa or the green card process? 
either one. The application wouldn't cost cost that much. I don't exactly know, probably less than $500. But the thing is that there's no U.S. embassy in Iran, so we have to travel to another country to apply for that. Okay, so oh, that's okay. going to add to the cost. Uh, but the green card process is about five grand. Wow. Because you need a lawyer for that, for of course, because you wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, oh, God, the list of the requirements and the documents, and they're going to ask you. I mean, the background check that we go through, they're going to ask you who your grandparents are, where did they work, what did they do, who your parents are, all your family members, where did you go to elementary school, to middle school, to high school, your health issues, your, I mean, it's a lot, and it's going to cost a lot. Just before you moved to Lawrence, you were in the midst of talking with your attorney to get omids green card yes. and, and i remember all of the different references that you needed and the a reference that i wrote that omid still hasn't paid me for but um, <laughs> <laughs> i know he has his green card do you now have yours yes yes we okay we, i've had my green card for four years now do you have plans in your head for the future to get the ball rolling to bring any family over okay so we tried that when we i was pregnant with ava we tried to get a visa for my mom which we couldn't okay uh, so during the travel ban of course that was not an option for anyone i had a friend who was pregnant with twins and she, at the time that she was pregnant, she got diagnosed with breast cancer. So she was in a really bad situation. Still, she couldn't get her parents here. Yeah. But now I assume that everything is better now. So, yeah, we are thinking about that. There is no guarantee that we can do that or not. It's going to be a challenge. A lot of it also depends on the relations between the U.S. and Iran, because I remember exactly it it always does. Yeah, Jill, there was Amy was gone a couple of stretches, you know, for three, four or five months back home. And I remember talking with Omid at one point thinking, is she going to be able to get back? Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get back. Even yeah. if your husband is here and you're there and your yeah. child is born in the United States, there's no guarantee you wouldn't know. That's I a- had to go to Dubai to apply for the visa. And Ava was five months old at the time. Yeah, and they wouldn't let the baby in the embassy. What am I supposed to do with a five-month-old baby in a country that I don't even know their language? Okay, who am I going to find? How am I going to find a babysitter? For Oh, God, you don't want to know about that. And you don't want to leave your child with someone you don't know. You don't want to leave exactly. your child I'm living in a hotel for in. three days. Was this in Qatar? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, what's one thing you would really like us to know? about your country that you're proud of or that you love or that would be something we should learn and take to heart for us here? Of course, I'm proud of my country. Okay, so it's really easy in here not to say that you're from Iran because Mm -hmm. automatically with people, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. They have an image in my mind based on the media. You don't have to say that where you're from. But I always say, and put it, one of my missions I say in life is that tell everyone that it's Iran, not Iran. 
Okay. So, uh -huh. yeah, everyone says Ira. Uh, I was saying I'm proud of where I am from. And I see no reason to not say where I'm from. The thing that I'm saying that I am proud of to be from Iran, I don't think that I, somebody can be proud from <laughs> based on where they are born. You had nothing to do with it, but it's a beautiful country. And we have a really deep, beautiful culture. Okay. The music, the poetry. Oh, my God, it's beautiful. What's one thing you really love in the United States? Oh, the diversity. Good. I love good. that That's I good. had the chance to know these many people. I love that Eva has the chance to be raised in a society with all the different kinds of people. And I was saying that she was talking to me about one of her friends, and I was trying to find out which one she was talking about. And I asked her to describe how she looks. And uh, she told me that she's the one with the beautiful eyes, long lashes. And she was trying to describe. And the other day, I, we saw her when I was picking her up from school. And she showed her to me. And I realized that she was African-American. And I love that it didn't occur to her to tell me that she is the one with a different color of skin. Because it didn't matter to her. It doesn't okay? matter. Yeah. I love that, you know. How old is Ava? Yeah, it's six. Okay. I was going to tell you really quick, Amy, that when my kids were young, a couple of stories. One, my nieces and nephews, who were at that time like four years older than my daughter, when they went to kindergarten, they came home. And we, we have Sunday dinner, all of our whole family. And we came home and mm -hmm. the two that were in kindergarten came up to me and they said, Aunt Jill, do you know you're the only one in your family not brown? Now, they had never seen my kids. <laughs> they they never thought that my kids were any different. It was just Eric and Blake. They weren't. They were just Eric and Blake. There was no difference to them. They were their cousins. It's just who they were. And I said, "Wait, what? I'm the only one different in my family." And it wasn't that my kids were different or that my husband was different. It was that Do you, you know you're the, the only one not brown. Brown. <laughs> I love that. I thought that was funny. And then there was a similar thing with um, my daughter. There were kids at like a recital or something. It was kind of the same deal where someone did, it was just a friend, you know, it's my friend, mm -hmm. it's my friend, it's my friend, you know, and then it was, it was the girl talking about Erica, but she'd say, she never told her mom that, you know, Erica was brown or black. Mm -hmm. She never said that. And another really quick one, Erica was in school and a boy said to her in kindergarten, since she was the only biracial kid in her grade school oh. and the boy said eric was smart and she answered a question and the boy said she doesn't know anything she's just a stupid black girl erica oh came home from God. kindergarten that day and she said mommy something happened at school today and it hurt my feelings but i don't know why and oh I said, my god i said okay what happened and she told me, and I was furious. I picked up my purse. I grabbed her little brother, and we were headed back to school. Yeah. We didn't. Our my husband was in the driveway to visit the kids, and he came in, and she had on cute little black patent shoes, little plaid dress. He came in, and he saw that I was mad. He goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm going back to school because we are not starting this in kindergarten. I want to know what the teacher did mm -hmm. to defeat that. If she said anything, because I asked Erica what she did. And Erica said she just said that's not nice and went on. Which maybe for kindergartners that was good, but for this mama, it was." Is not okay. He was still my husband, but he wasn't living. We were separated. And he walked in the door and he said, what's going on? And I told him and he looked at Erica and he said, put your arm down there by your shoes. Does it match? She goes, no. He goes, why? And he, she goes, because my shoes are black and my arm is brown. And he said, well, then who's the dumb one? Max doesn't even know his colors. 
my and it diffused God. the whole thing because I couldn't be mad. <laughs> that was I can't be mad was. on a kindergarten level. And then we said she was a bigger girl. She was like a foot taller than all the kids in her school. She was oh. she was tall, big girl. So he's we said you cannot retaliate. Do not go back and say anything to him. Just let it ride. But at the last day of school, she came home and she was grinning from ear to ear. Last day of kindergarten. And we're like, what's going on? She goes, well, Max was playing on the playground at school. He fell off the monkey bars. And I laughed and told him, well, you're not very smart. You're just a stupid peach person. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So she used her colors right. She didn't say white. She said, you're just a stupid peach person. (laughs) And she was so proud of herself. And Norm, Norm, you know, we were like, oh, my goodness, that's just crazy. But not only was she accurate, she was precise. Bias is learned. You are not born with that. Exactly. You learn that in your mm-hmm. home. There is no way, in my opinion, a five-year-old who didn't hear it in his own home or who had not been taught that would say, she's just a stupid black girl. She doesn't know anything. Yeah. That's a learned behavior. Yeah. I believe prejudice is learned. And I think it goes back to if you have never expanded your horizons and you're in the same family culture and you don't know anybody, you don't exit very far. I know that my ex-father-in-law had really never been out of Indiana, Kentucky his whole life. And so that's all he knew. He, He didn't know anybody else. He didn't know any other way of life or any way of thinking or that people might be more open in this community or that community, Mm -hmm. you know, or even just one town over things were different. If you never leave that, you know, I know there are still people in Tippecanoe County who have never left Tippecanoe County. Right. That's where we, you know, where we're from. Yeah. You are responsible for educating yourself. Yes, that's true. And if you don't know that, if you don't experience it, you have no way to know. But I, I love those stories when that happens to kids, because even at five, they have not yet learned unless they have heard it in their home or the group that they are with. They don't know that there's anything to be feared or adored about some other group of people, race, mm-hmm. religion, culture, anything. They don't know that. That's not born into them. That's taught. This has been Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. If you have any additional questions for our friend Amy, or if you have a podcast subject idea or any comments, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Twitter and coming soon on ethnicstew.com.